0: Okay, once again, we are in the book of Colossians. The plan today is to finish chapter 2, which means we're kind of right in the middle of Colossians. There are four chapters, and we're going to finish chapter 2 today, Lord willing. So the verses we're going to look at today are Colossians 2, verses 16 to 23. I'm titling this lesson, as you can see on the screen there, Spiritual Treasure Stealing Pirates. I'm not going to dress up, don't worry. But I I thought about it. Um, We're going to talk about spiritual treasure-stealing pirates. Of course, that's a title I came up with. But you'll understand as we go through uh, what I'm meaning by that. Have you ever had something stolen from you? Show of hands. Who's had something? Wow. Basically everybody. There's one general rule when something is stolen from you that I've noticed. That you generally are unaware that something is being stolen from you. Janine and I, when we lived in Michigan, we lived in the parsonage next to the church building. I think I've told this before, but we were robbed twice in that building. And the first time we were spending Thanksgiving dinner with her parents at their house. What kind of person robs on Thanksgiving? That's cold. Um, Obviously unaware that the thieves were breaking in to our house during that time. Uh, The next time they broke into the same house, but a different floor of the house while we were on vacation. And the East Coast. And so, once again, very unaware that this was going on. And that's a general rule, right? And when someone breaks in and steals and robs from you, that's the whole point, that you don't know what's happening. And we're going to talk a little bit about that spiritually today. But I want to share with you a little bit of a story of something that, I was, that was taken from me that I didn't expect when I first did such a thing, and I'll explain here as I go. As I, as I mentioned before, I worked at Best Buy when I was in my early 20s and they had this great thing when you were working there called an employee discount. It was wonderful. Uh, they, it was like 25 or 30 percent off their merchandise. You could go and use your employee discount and get something discounted, which was great. Well, I was in the market for a couple computer speakers. Um, listened to music on my computer, the laptop I had wasn't great, so I needed to get some computer speakers to make it sound better. And I wasn't looking for anything high-end. I wasn't going to go crazy. I just needed some computer speakers to You know, allow the music to go well. And so I looked and found the perfect set at Best Buy. I found a nice set of computer speakers right in the middle of the ground, quality, and was gonna use my employee discount, and I did. I took it up to the the little register there, and it came to like $30, which I thought was a good deal, for a good set of computer speakers. Well, little did I know I was gonna pay much more than $30 for these computer speakers. Um, Back in my early 20s, I didn't have a great grip on my finances. Um, I got in the mail the one day a letter indicating to me that the check I wrote for those speakers bounced. And so you guys know what that is, right? You don't have enough in your account to cover what you paid for. I forgot about some other purchase or I didn't have an idea of what finances I had. So even with my employee discount, I bounced the check for the speakers. Well, big deal, okay? I mean, usually when you do something like that, it's like a small fine, like $30.00. Well, not this time. The letter said that I was reading said I was going to have to. My parents are laughing. They know this story. They experience this with me. I was going to have to either pay a very large fine, which is silly, right? I bounced the check for $30. I clearly don't have the money to pay a very large fine. So that wasn't going to be an option. The other option, I was going to have to go to a check-bouncing class (laughs) on a Saturday all day long in Scranton on a Saturday. I was like, are you kidding me? I bounced one check and they're bringing me to a class to learn better about my finances and how to budget, you know, what I had and how not to do this again. I guess they were cracking down on on bouncers, check bouncers. And so they wanted to make an example of people like me. So I didn't have the money to pay the huge fine, so It was like, I guess I'm going to check bouncing class from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. on a Saturday in Scranton. I paid for these speakers. <laughs> I went to this class, and there's a teacher or a leader of this class. You know, there's probably 15, 20 people in that class, and we're all sitting in those chairs with like the, the desks attached to it. It felt like a you know way too old for a school class we were in. But there we are with a bunch of different age groups, and myself, I was the youngest one there, which was weird. Um, and so the teacher, you know, we all sat down wherever we sat, and the teacher said, you know, let's make this light and funny at the beginning, and let's just go around, say your name, and approximately how many checks you think you've bounced. And I was like, really? So, you know, they're going around, the guy's like, hi, my name's Chuck, I've bounced like hundreds, you know, lost count. The other lady's like, yeah, my name's Trudy, I think i bounced about 85 checks. And another person said, you know, i bounce bounced dozens and dozens, i bounce one every week. And then it comes to me and I'm like, uh, I'm Todd? I bounced one check? And I think some guy behind me goes, ah, your first time. (laughs) I envy you. And so there I am at check bouncing class. And it was all day. It was, you know, you have a session in the morning. And, you know, there's a break for lunch. And then there's a session in the afternoon. And very awkward things. And they're going over things like basic dumb things. Everyone would know. It's like, if you have $80 in your checkbook, and you tried to buy something for $100, is that going to clear? No, clearly we all know this. But it was things like that and you know, we just had to learn our lesson. And there was a lunch break in the middle and I, yeah, I don't know anybody from this class, but I'm eating lunch with somebody. I have to find like a friend and sit down and have lunch with, I, so I sat down with some elderly lady and we had a sandwich and I'm talking to her. And I'm like, okay, you got six grandkids and you've bounced five checks a week. Okay, that's pretty cool. and then back to the class for another four hours and you had to graduate you had to get like a little diploma basically saying I've learned my lesson I'm not going to do this anymore and trust me I did not want to do this anymore (laughs) I learned my lesson so I had to go to check bouncing class and graduate from this thing and I share that with you to share that I paid $30 for these speakers and I ended up paying much much more with my time with my um, my dignity by going to a check bouncing class, and I think I learned my lesson after that. So don't bounce checks. You don't want to be the next person going to, going to class and Scranton on a Saturday. But uh, I can tell you some of my friends, because it was one of those things, like at the end of the day, you felt like you were there like weeks, you know? And you kind of like make friends at the end, and it's kind of like this sad send off at the end. It's like, Chuck, Chuck, don't bounce any more checks. Work on, work on bouncing the basketball, buddy. Don't bounce any more checks. It's like, oh, lo, let's say hi to your five grandkids. You know, it's like such a teary-eyed thing. And I get my card. and I'm like, get a grip, man. You're a chick-bouncing class. Anyways. Okay, thievery. I want to talk about spiritual treasure-stealing pirates. I now want to go to our text. I want to look at Colossians 2, verses 16 to 23. And I want you to listen to what Paul is saying today. It says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, Last time we talked in Colossians about um, warning how to fight the devil, the devil and his deceptions and his distractions. This time Paul takes a little bit different course. We're going to talk about legalism today and uh, these people called the Judaizers we're going to find out here who were requiring that the Christians, the Colossians do more than just follow Christ that following Christ wasn't sufficient. But Paul is going to he's going to warn us of this today and I want to take a very clean, clear look at legalism today. And there's two ways to exalt something, right? You can exalt something with your words and your language as Christ, excuse me, as Paul has been doing in Colossians. He's been exalting Christ with the strongest language he can use. But there's another way to exalt something. It's to knock down any competitors. And so Paul has taken the last two uh, paragraphs here to knock down the devil and his schemes and this time to knock down any other thing, any other rule, any other lifestyle except following Christ. What I want to do here is I want to work a little bit through the text, okay, just so we understand what Paul is saying, and then I want to go on the topic of legalism, things like that, and talk about that. So hopefully everyone can stay with me. You have your sheets, right? But I want to look at through the text. What is Paul saying here? Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. Really what Paul is saying there is he's talking about the ceremonial law of Moses. He's saying, don't let anyone pass judgment on you in questions to the ceremonial law of Moses. Well, why, Paul? I mean, that was a good thing, right? That came from God. Why can't anyone judge us according to that? Because Paul says it's a shadow of the things to come, not the reality. Verse 17 says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And the way I thought about this is, I thought about this in comparison to a photograph versus the actual person. Okay, now my mother-in-law is going to be visiting us here in a couple weeks, next week actually. And she loves photographs of the grandchildren, you know. So we always try to send her photographs and send her updated pictures of the grandkids so she can feel connected. They live in Michigan. But obviously, when my mother-in-law is going to visit us, she's not going to be spending time with the photograph, is she? She's going to be spending time with the actual children. And that's the idea Paul is talking about here. Do not let anyone pass judgment on you in regards to the shadow, but the reality, which is Jesus Christ. And we'll come back to that. He says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Then he says in verse 18 let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism which we'll pause and look at a little bit and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head and maybe like mine is maybe your head is capitalized that head is speaking of christ jesus he's the head and then paul kind of explains why he's the head the whole body meaning the christian is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments by holding to the head. Christ. That's how we're nourished. That's how we're knit together. That's how we hold together by holding to the head. Obviously, if you decapitate the body, right, the body dies. That's the whole point. We have to hold fast to the head. And at the end of verse 19, he says, When we do so, we grow with a growth that is from God. Not from man. Not from our efforts. When we hold fast to the head, we grow with a growth that is from God. That's powerful. That's profound, that we would grow by God's strength. And Paul is saying the way that you do that is you hold fast to the head, to Christ. And again, our, our goal here is to treasure Jesus Christ. So let's keep going. Verse 20. Well, in the first chunk there, he's talking about the ceremonial law. And in the second chunk, he's talking about man-made religion, man-made stuff, pagan things. Do not taste, do not touch, do not handle, according to the elemental spirits of the world, as if to hold to pagan practices or serving false gods. And Paul is once again saying, listen, do not get off course by serving or worshiping anything else. It's very dangerous to do so. And he was also saying, don't let anyone disqualify you or judge you according to anything but Christ. That's important to know. And look what he says. Um, verse 21. According to human precepts and teachings. Do you know the a difference there? Right before that, he said a growth that comes from God. Next, he says according to human precepts and teachings. So there's the contrast. One comes from God through Christ, and the other one is man so, you can grow based on man's power and wisdom. And holding to Christ, you can grow according to God's power and wisdom. And then in verse 23, he says, They have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self made religion. There's the man thing again. And asceticism and severity to the body. So, basically, it looks pious. It looks very religious. When you do some of these things, you look like you're practicing religion. You could be pious. Asceticism, we're going to get to here in a little bit. But Paul says there's a very big problem when you practice man-made religion. It's of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. It cannot make you holy. So a lot of man-made rules, abiding by those man-made rules, does not make anyone holy. It does not help anyone grow with a growth that is from God. Only Christ. Okay, so I want you to use your sheets and the slides. I've got two different ways you can go along with us here. And I want to talk about, first I want to dive into the first section here where he talks about the ceremonial law, the difference and the contrast between the two. The ceremonial law contrasted with Christ. And I want to look at these two. I don't think typically, generally in our day and age, people struggle with practicing the ceremonial law. So I'm not going to linger here too long, but I do want you to understand what Paul is saying here. He's saying, okay, so the the first people were saying, you can follow Christ. Following Christ is good, but you also got to keep the ceremonial law. You just can't follow Christ. You got to do something else. You got to keep the old law. And I want to look at these two things. The ceremonial law is the old covenant, and Christ is the new covenant. We learned from the first part here that the ceremonial law was the shadow. Following Christ is the substance. The reality so again think of that idea with a photo of someone versus the actual person once you have the actual person in your presence you don't need the photo so much do you in fact and Paul is saying basically you don't need the ceremonial law once you have Christ at all that was the shadow that led up to this pointed you toward it told you how important you needed how much you needed Christ but once you have Jesus Christ you don't need the shadow any longer This isn't the only time this is mentioned, okay? I want you to take your Bibles and go to Galatians. uh, Like three books before Colossians. Paul, in the book of Galatians, kind of spends an entire book talking about this idea. And I want to look just at one portion here. Galatians 1, 11 to 17. Listen to what Paul says. Galatians 1, 11 to 17. For I would have you know brothers that the gospel was preached to me the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel for I did, I did not receive it from any man nor was I taught it but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ for you have heard of my former life in Judaism how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my own people so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers but When he who had set me apart before I was born and who had called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach to him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Paul is basically saying once again, once I received Christ, I no longer needed the shadow. The shadow was gone. Paul didn't know that prior to when Christ came. Paul was all about the shadow, holding to the Old Testament law, the old ceremonial law, and holding everyone else to the ceremonial law. And then when he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, Paul realized and understood there's a reality of what the shadow was pointing to. And once he had the reality, there was no going back to the shadow. So the ceremonial law is the shadow. Christ is the reality. The ceremonial law, too, had ongoing sacrifices year after year after year because next on the sheet, it never fully took away sins. People kept sinning, and the sacrifices had to keep being offered to to atone for the sins year after year, and even the priests would sin. So the priests had to atone for their own sins by doing these sacrifices with the blood of bulls and goats over and over and over. But with Christ... One sacrifice. Jesus died on the cross once. It says in Hebrews that after he made the sacrifice for sins, he went up to the throne in heaven and sat down, signifying it's over. It's done. No more sacrifice. Otherwise, Jesus would have to, like the old covenant, have to die year after year after year. But the sufficiency of Christ means he died once, and that's it. One sacrifice for all time. So you can see the contrast there. So it never took uh, the ceremonial law never fully took away sins, and Christ fully took away all of our sins. That's how different that is. Um, next, the ceremonial law was a hard yoke. This idea of yoke is putting this, you know, this uh, rope against two animals and plowing the field, and it was a hard yoke. The ceremonial law was kind of like walking on eggshells. If you didn't ever do everything carefully according to the law, you were in really big trouble. Do you remember the story of the guy who tries to catch the Ark of the Covenant because it's falling? I mean, that's a really nice thing to do, right? Don't let the Ark of the Covenant fall to the ground. The problem is you weren't supposed to touch the Ark of the Covenant. And so when the guy grabs it to help, help it from not falling, dead. <laughs> that's a hard yoke. And then Jesus says something in the New Testament. Take my yoke upon you. It's easy and my burden is light. And he's contrasting the ceremonial law And he's contrasting the world or the devil. When you follow Christ, it becomes an easy yoke, a light burden. Because Christianity, although not not hard, excuse me, not easy, um, is simple. Christianity is simple. It comes down to two basic overarching commandments. Love the Lord and love your neighbor. Versus the old ceremonial law, painstaking. You had to remember all of these things and do them properly and in order and never falter. So Christ is easy compared to the old ceremonial law. Also, the ceremonial law was insufficient for pleasing God versus Christ, who is sufficient for pleasing God. How do we know that? Well, I'm going to get to a verse here that shows us that, so we're going to pause that for a second. But the old ceremonial law was insufficient, and Christ is sufficient. And lastly, the ceremonial law is temporal and always was supposed to be temporal. That's how God designed it. Versus Christ, who has no beginning and no end. He's eternal. That's a big contrast, right? Something here for a time versus Christ, who never has a beginning and never has an end. Wow. Okay, the next thing I want to look is a passage from Hebrews 8. I think it's going to be on the screen here and on your sheet. And I want to show you again that the Old Covenant, the Old Testament was never supposed to be sufficient. Hebrews 8, 6-7 says this, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Do you see that? So the old covenant had faults, wasn't sufficient. And God designed it to not be sufficient so that it would point to something that is. So that once you understood the reality, the substance, you don't go back to what was insufficient. And Jesus, it says in the passage, much more excellent. The covenant he mediates is better. It's enacted on better promises. So, okay, that's how we understand the old ceremonial law versus Christ. That there's no need to go back to the shadow, okay? Follow Christ. And Paul wants to make that very clear in the Colossians' mind. Do not be judged by, do not be disqualified by, and do not go back to the old shadow. Stay with the substance. Um, he, what he really what doesn't want the Colossians to do is be, is be decapitated. I mean, not hold fast to the head to hold on to something else that can't save that can not help them grow that can not help them mature and so paul is saying hold fast to the head the next thing the text mentions is paul springs up the worship of angels that these judaizers were basically saying you need to worship angels too so worship god worship christ but also worship angels because they're two heavenly beings and you should worship them and then he says asceticism is also important you need to practice asceticism we'll look at both of these very quickly angels versus Jesus have you ever looked at Hebrews chapter 1 I'm just going to read a portion of this so we understand that we don't need to worship angels I want you to listen kind of like the same language with the old covenant this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 1 about angels versus Jesus in verse 3 it says he Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, here it is, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. Notice the language. Verse 5, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. He never said that to the angels. Verse 13, bumping down a little bit. And to which of the angels has God ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Do you see the difference? Angels have a purpose. Angels are good. Angels are heavenly glorified beings. But they're not Christ. They're not. In fact, there's a great drop-off from Christ to angels. So Paul is basically saying, don't let anyone convince you you need to worship angels as well. Worship the better one. Worship Christ only. No rivals. So we've debunked the ceremonial law following that. We've debunked the worship of angels. And now I want to look at this thing called asceticism. He brings it up two different times here. Asceticism, I looked it up is a lifestyle of extreme avoidance of earthly and sensual pleasure for the purpose of religious devotion. Obviously, this practice can be taken and used by an individual for the purpose of devoting yourself to Christ. Okay? I want to make that clear. And that's not what Paul is knocking down. What Paul is saying is that to watch out for those who require asceticism as if it was commanded by the Lord. Because he never commanded asceticism. This idea, if followed, would greatly reduce our need for the Holy Spirit. And I'll explain. We are given commandments from the Lord to obey, but the degree of our devotion and love to the Lord comes not from demanding a certain pious lifestyle or from the abstinence of certain worldly non-sinful pleasures, notice that, but it comes from the Holy Spirit's tug on a redeemed heart to love and treasure the Lord more profoundly. When this love comes from man's demands instead of from the love of Christ, it is false love. It's enslavement to man-made religion that we call legalism. And it's never what the Lord intended. You know what Christ wants? You know what God wants? He wants and desires a true love that flows from our hearts based on his love for us. Not from the demands of asceticism. You need to be this. You need to avoid this. You need to stop doing this. According to man-made stuff. According to the old ceremonial law. Paul says, don't let anyone disqualify you based on you having to practice asceticism. Because that's not love. That's enslavement. When you are tugged by the love God has for you, and you love him in return, that's God glorifying but when someone demands asceticism and says, you need to have this kind of pious lifestyle, you need to practice these kinds of things in order to be holy, it actually takes away the glory of God. Because we don't love God because of God. We love God because of man. And that's, that's what Paul is knocking down. So again, we don't need asceticism. Asceticism can be used to follow the Lord more devoutly, but it's never to be demanded. It's never to be put upon you like a hard yoke. Like the old ceremonial law, say, do this, abstain from this, don't do this. Because that's the whole point of Christ. Liberation. Freedom. And to do what you were always created to do. Okay, so we've debunked the ceremonial law, we've debunked angels and the worshiping of them, and we've debunked asceticism. Now I want to take our attention and put it on legalism. Modern-day legalism, okay? What I want to do first is I want to kind of define three different terms So we know what legalism is and what it isn't. Okay, Because the word legalism gets thrown around a lot. It's like, you know, everybody has their own idea of what legalism is. And I'm going to do my best to identify legalism today, so we're careful to avoid it. Okay, Legalism is either requiring that Christians follow the old ceremonial law, like I said before, in addition to Christ, or abide by man-made rules that seem to modify behavior toward a pious and even godly lifestyle. Some go as far as to even require more than faith in Christ for salvation. So you, you need faith in Christ, but you also need these things. That's legalism. That is legalism. And Paul calls it in Galatians a false gospel. It cannot save. It will not save. It will make nobody holy. If you hold to anything else and not to the head, you're in very dangerous ground. And you talked, we talked about the devil last week, right? distractions, deceptions, and devaluing Christ. The devil loves legalism, loves it, because he's diverting your attention to anything and everything else except the head. And our goal here is to treasure Christ. And legalism is not helpful. It's not helpful. We're going we're to walk through a little bit more about legalism, but I wanted to define the term there. The next thing I want to look at is this uh, the word principles. Okay, you've heard this word before, not the principle of a school, the other principles. Uh, principles are rules ideally based on biblical commands that are set up by an authority figure like a parent or a boss to help people understand what is expected of them, to keep them from harm, and to put them on a proper path for their life. And I want to state this because when your parents did or do give you commandments to do and you can't find chapter and verse, don't call them legalists, okay? Those are principles your parents are setting up to put you on a nice, safe, good course, okay? So when, when your parents and your authority figures say, do this, don't do this, you're under their authority, and that's actually a command from God. Obey authority. Honor your father and your mother. So when you're under the, the authority of someone else, and they give to you rules and mandates that aren't chapter and verse in Scripture as commandments, that's not legalism. Okay. Now, what it, when it becomes dangerous is when these things enter into the church and enter into the practice of religion. That was never meant to be so but I need to state what principles are versus legalism because just because it's not chapter and verse means you don't have to obey it. So if your boss says, I want you here on time, and you say, can you find that in the Bible? (laughs) I'm not doing that, you legalist. That's not legalism. (laughs) And when your parents say, clean up your room, chapter and verse, mom, I want it right now. That's not legalism. Obey and honor your father and your mother. And next, I'm gonna look at Christ's commandments. This is the big one. This is what we're contrasting with legalism. Christ's commandments are rules specifically given from the one true God through Jesus Christ. It's laid out in his written word, so there's absolutely no confusion. The commandments are to be obeyed. They're to be abided by at all costs. They're exactly and specifically what pleases the Lord. Obedience to Christ's commandments is following Jesus. You can't follow Jesus if you don't obey the commandments of Christ. And I want to look at that today, too, if we have time. So this is not legalism. Following the obey, uh, following and obeying the commandments of Christ is not legalism. I want to contrast those two things. These are the laws and the rules God has set up to say, this is how you love me. This is how you please me. And I want to talk a little bit about commandments here quickly. we got to move kind of quick, but that's okay. Let's talk about the commandments, okay? I want to preface this before we end on fighting legalism because the commandments are not legalism okay Um, it is not legalism to hold ourselves and others other christians to the commandments of jesus i want to make that very clear that's not legalism if it says it in scripture as a commandment that's not legalism that came from god that's supposed to be obeyed and abided by Um, so i want to look at the commandments here quickly i want to walk you through okay what are the commandments what are they which commandments I mean, you talked about not following the old ceremonial law. So what law? Well, let's look at it, okay? Uh, The two greatest commandments God ever gave man, right on the screen there, are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is not legalism. That came from the mouth of God. That's an eternal law of God. And these these two commandments that God gave are overarching every other commandment in Scripture. All of the commandments of God fall underneath those two commandments, like a big umbrella, okay? So we need to know that the two greatest commandments of God include every commandment. So if you learn these two and the intricacies of these two, you'll learn everything. Those are the two overarching commandments of God. Those are the two you'd really need to focus on, okay? But we also know there's ten commandments, right? The ten commandments. And some people think those ten commandments aren't for today any longer. I don't think so. I think they are. Because the Ten Commandments fall under the two greatest commandments. They're a better explanation about how to love the Lord your God and how to love your neighbor as yourself. And right in the middle, there's one called the Sabbath that everyone's confused by. Uh, we'll, We'll take another Sunday to talk about that sometime. But the Ten Commandments fall underneath the two greatest commandments. They're found in Exodus chapter 20. But they're still about love. The first three have no other gods before me. Do not make a graven image and worship that thing. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. They all have to do about how to love the Lord your God. And the one is the Sabbath, number four. The ones following the Sabbath are all about how to love your neighbor as yourself. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet what isn't yours. But they fall under the two greatest commandments. Are we all tracking here? Okay, so the ten aren't different than the two. They're under the two. Okay? Then there's commandments underneath the ten. So it's kind of like a big pyramid, okay? If you want to go really into detail, you can. You can stay on the, on the top two and go, I'm just going to stay there, which is good. But the problem is you won't know specifically how to do that. So we have the Ten Commandments. And the next thing we have is the teachings of Jesus found in the Gospels. The Sermon on the Mount, things like that. Where Jesus takes the old Ten Commandments and starts elaborating on these things. Going, you heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever lusts at a woman has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So is it a new commandment? No, it's not a new commandment. He's taking the old Ten Commandments and showing you what they look like. It's not just the letter of the law. It's the spirit of the law. But you know what it still is? Love. It's still love. It hasn't changed. It's just further fine-combing the Ten Commandments And saying, here's what you thought it was. Now I'm here to teach you what it actually is. So the teachings of Jesus fall under the ten, which fall under the two. Are we still tracking? Good. And then this last one here. There's commandments given by the New Testament writers to the church, like Colossians. In fact, if you would take Colossians and move from chapter 2 to chapter 3, Paul gives a bunch of commandments. And it's like, well, what are you doing, Paul? Making your own law? No, he's not. Paul is further fine-combing the teachings of Jesus so that you understand the teachings of Jesus, so you understand the Ten Commandments, so that you understand the two greatest commandments. Does that make sense? So these commandments are not new. It's all about love. But Jesus has come to explain and further unravel these commandments so we know what the commandments are. And I want to show you that these things today are not legalism. Obeying the commandments of God and holding other Christians who profess Christ to the commandments of God is not legalism. It is obedience and it is following Christ. And we need to be very, very careful to obey the commandments of Christ. Okay, we're going to move our attention now to what is legalism. What I want to do now is I want to give you some modern day examples of legalism, modern-ish. Maybe some of these things you grew up with. Maybe some of these things are still around. But I want to give you a few. And maybe you can think of your own on your sheet there. And maybe you let me know some of those at some point. Uh, I, I, this is where I flirted kind of dressing up as a pirate and kind of sharing some of these with you, you know. And when I mentioned that idea to Janine, she gave me a weird look. I was like, that's not a good idea. And then I thought about it going, well, dressing up like a pirate, it takes a lot, you know. You need the eye patch, the peg leg, the buccaneer hat, the bandana. You need a hook hand and a parrot on your shoulder. I don't have time for that. You know, who's got that time? So I'm not going to do it that way. I'm gonna to talk to you like a pastor, how about that? Here, but here's some modern examples of legalistic, okay, Le- legalistic rules. The first one I thought of is dress code. Okay, that's still around today. If you dress a certain way, you're holy. So men should have sport coats and ties on, and the women should all be in dresses. You know, we, all, some of us grew up with those kinds of rules, and they're still around a little bit today. Our church is not gonna to hold to that, okay? Now, I do wanna say this, that if you wanna dress up, it's fine. If you, want, if you think this is giving God your best by dressing up, we have no problem with that. Where it becomes a problem is when you start mandating it for other people, and you start thinking this is what makes you holy. A dress code does not make anybody holy. So shorts versus tie, the Lord doesn't care that much. Otherwise, you would have mentioned it. So that's one example. Here's another one. I don't want to step on any toes. But maybe you guys grew up with this, using only the KJV Bible. Oh, that's a bad chapter in our life. You know, as if to say there's one pure translation of the Bible, it's the King James Version. Well, the King James Version is a translation, which they all are, by man, which they all are, you know? And to say that one version of the Bible arises above the others, it's just ridiculous. And that you can't be holy, you can't follow Christ without using the King James Version. I have the English Standard Version. It makes more sense. I don't use Shakespearean language, so it's not going to make any sense for me to use the King James version of the Bible. But here's another one. Music styles, okay? Music styles. You grow up, and you hear a beat in the song. It's from the devil. Only the devil would put beat in his music. You know, it's like, okay. So music styles, that one goes makes churches crazy. Some churches will split over that, you know, that the music style is holy versus the other one, which is god, un- ungodly, excuse me, and worldly and devilish. It's legalism. If you have your own preference, that's fine. But when we start mandating it in churches, we get on a very slippery slope. So music styles, pews versus chairs, nobody cares. Order of Sunday service, things like that, these are all legalistic things. Again, is it wrong for a church and a pastor to say this is how I want it? No. And you, as, as, if I did that as your pastor, you're under my authority. So guess what? You have to sit in chairs and tables. Deal with it. Just teasing. I don't really care either. Um, But that's another example of a a legalistic rule. Here's another one, and I'm probably going to step on some toes here, but I just have to. Drinking, it's not mentioned in Scripture. Now, getting drunk is, okay. Getting drunk is a commandment. Don't do it. But drinking, everybody loses their minds about drinking. And I I don't drink, Okay, I I prefer not to drink, but I cannot mandate it, because it's not in Scripture. It's not a commandment of God. So to lose our minds about people who are drinking, and it's just wrong. It's never meant to be because it doesn't hold us to the head of Christ. If we're dealing with getting drunk, we can deal with that because the Scripture deals with that. So drinking, smoking, tattoos, piercings, all kinds of things that maybe you grew up with are legalistic. Um, Here's one that was weird for a while. Abstaining from movie theaters. Anyone run into that for a while? Like, you can go to Blockbuster and rent movies, but if you go to a movie theater, devilish. And I think my, I asked my dad, like, what was the thinking behind that? And he's like, well, I, I was taught that it was kind of like giving to corrupt Hollywood companies. If you give money to Hollywood corrupt companies, then you're following the devil. It's like, well, where's the line then? <laughs> you can't buy a newspaper. You can't go to Starbucks. You know, over and over and over. And that's a legalistic rule because it's not in Scripture. Again, if this is your personal preference, that's fine. Here's another one, abstaining from dancing because it leads to premarital sex. Uh, David danced all the time. Man, what an ungodly guy he would be if dancing was wrong, you know? But that was another one. We saw premarital sex happening, and dancing seemed to be the trigger. Take (laughs) dancing right out, and no one will have sex anymore. It's like, okay. That wasn't the problem, okay? So when we started mandating that no Christians should dance, that's a legalistic rule. I'm going to move quickly here holding to traditions in the church. We talked about that. A lot of it has to do with dress code and service style. Here's one that the Pharisees struggled with all the time and Jesus is always confronting them with. Keeping the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. So these guys were all about practicing religion, but they always did it in public, and they always held to the letter of the law and not the spirit. So these guys were examples of people who didn't commit adultery, but they did lust. These are guys who didn't commit murder, But they hated their brother, you know? And Jesus all the time had to confront these guys saying, that's legalism. You're holding to the letter of the law instead of the spirit of the law. And Jesus came to show us what the spirit of the law looks like. So we aren't legalists. So we don't just hold to public religion and in our private time we're devilish creatures. He wants us holy and godly all the time. And in order for that to happen, he has to teach us what it looks like. So the Pharisees struggled with that. And I make your own list. Maybe you have a few you can mention to me and come up and say, I struggled with this or I was taught this. What's still around? I don't know. I don't know what's still around and what people are harping on these days. But I want to make it very clear. Legalism doesn't help you abide by the commandments of Christ. Okay? It becomes its own thing. It becomes very enslaving very quickly. And it actually takes us away from Christ, which is very, very scary to think about. How dangerous is legalism? How dangerous is legalism? Go to the next slide. There, um, first thing as it does is it replaces God's law with man's. So God sets up a law, God sub- sets up commandments, and we say no, it's about dress code and versions of the Bible and, and music style. Well, what you just did is you actually sat down in the throne of God and started making your own demands and laws. That's really dangerous. <laughs> You replace God's law with man's? God says, I care about these things, and we say, no, you should care about these things. Really bad. Number two is that we talked about this. It replaces Christ's easy yoke with a hard yoke. Suddenly, it's very, very difficult. It's very unjoyful. If you guys have ever under, grew up in a legalistic society and in culture, it's, it's a hard yoke. It's, it's not a very attractive Christianity. And the next thing kind of goes along with it. It removes the joy from the Christian soul. Legalistic people aren't really full of joy, they just aren't. And when I fell into categories like that, I too was not joyful because it's a hard yoke. It was not a yoke Christ meant for us. So it removes the joy. Next, it devalues Jesus Christ's sufficiency. And number five, I'll throw along with that, is it nullifies the importance of the gospel and the death of Christ, which is probably the biggest downfall of legalism. It acts as if Jesus Christ's sacrifice is not sufficient. That you can't just follow Christ. You've got to follow all these man-made rules. And it actually takes away the value of what Jesus did on the cross. May it never be. May it never be said of this church going forward that we hold to man-made rules and not the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. It's all about Christ. It's always been about Christ. It'll always be about Christ. And we did make it very clear that that's what this church is about. The next thing it does is it's uh, it's ever-changing based on what people think is important at the time versus the law of God, which is permanent and eternal. And you obey it in the old, just like you do in the new. And it's permanent. It's eternal. It's going with us in heaven. Versus legalism, it's kind of ever-changing. You know, It's whatever people are dealing with at that time. You know, Back in the day, it was King James Version and dress code, and now it's probably got their own rules and stuff like that today. And the next thing it does is it puffs up man with pride. Legalism, start use, what you start to do is you start to compare yourselves with other Christians and go, well, I'm holier than that person. <laughs> I dress better than that person. I listen to more conservative music than that person. I use only the King James Version of the Bible. I must be holier, and it puffs man up with pride, and pride is antichrist. It just is. The next thing is it cannot please God, can't, and it's a mark against the name and the glory of God. When people see legalism in the church, you know what they do? They run the other way, and they should, because <laughs> that's that's not a church that honors Christ, and that's a mark against God. When God when when the people of this world see A place of God, like a church, inundated with legalism and stuff like that, it's a mark against God, and people go the other way. And that is a true shame because our God is not like that. And that should never be so. Uh, Number nine is it suffocates the soul and tempts man to run from the world, run to the world for liberty. So it has this idea, and Charles Spurgeon said it this way. The devil doesn't care which side of the horse you fall off. So he doesn't care if he falls off on the legalistic side or on the worldly side, as long as you fall off one direction. Well, I'm to illustrate this for you a little bit. So legalism suffocates, man. It's kind of like claustrophobia. After a while, you just need to bust free of it, right? And just run and run and run. Well, what happens is, you guys, anyone play pool, billiards? Anyone like pool and billiards? OK, one. OK, we won't do that ever then. Um, but the, the that devil's like a good billiards player. This is what he does. In, in pool, so I've been taught, that when you play pool, the good pool players don't just knock a ball in like I do. I'm just trying to hit any ball in of mine in any direction in any hole. <laughs> if I can get that in, I feel like I'm doing good. But people who play billiards, while they knock in a ball, they're actually trying to set up their next shot. So they're knocking in a ball of theirs, and they're trying to get the, the cue to be in a good direction on the tables to hit in another ball. And I think the devil is great at this. I think what he did for a while is put us in legalism. It was so suffocating, so claustrophobic that we all started to run away from it. Okay, And we should, which is a good thing. Legalism is bad. But you know what we did? We ran to the other cliff. And the devil had that in his mind already. As soon as they're suffocated and claustrophobic, they're going to run from legalism, not to scripture to find out what it actually is. They're going to run to the world. And they're going to start getting their their rules and their regulations from the world. And as soon as you do that, you go from one cliff to the other. And the devil knows what he's doing. They're not only going to be, uh, be in legalism and fall off that cliff, but some of them are going to be so against legalism, they're going to actually run too far and go to the worldly side of things. This is where we need to stay. This is where we need to make camp. The scripture, the word of God and Jesus Christ. Number 10, Paul dealt with this. It cannot make men holy or stop the indulgences of the flesh. It just can't. Legalism has made no one holy, nor will it ever make anyone holy. And this is what I think is, is the, another bad one. It's on the next screen. This is what we've been dealing with here. You know what legalism also does? It steals our eternal treasure by directing our vision away from the treasure of treasures christ jesus and the devil knows that and remember i talked about robbery and thieving you are generally thieved from when you don't know you're being thieved from legalism is a pure example of that you think you're holy and pious and godly and righteous and the devil is stealing your treasure like a pirate taking your treasure away because he's saying it's not about christ it's about this and as soon as you start abiding by all those things he's taking you from the treasure of treasures and actually what he is doing, he's decapitating you. If you don't have the head, you die. Spiritually. Very quickly, almost incredibly quickly, we got to look at how to combat legalism and spiritual treasure-stealing pirates. I'm going to run through these very quickly. How to combat legalism and the spiritual treasure-stealing pirates. Know the word of God. There is no shortcut. If you don't know the word of God, you're Satan's next victim. You have to know the word of God and you have to fact check man's teachings and man's opinions with the scriptures. Mine included. Don't just take my word for it. Look into the scriptures. Some of the best people who did this were the Bereans from Acts 17. The apostles came to these, these guys and started teaching them all these new things and it sounded fantastic, but you know what the Bereans did? They look into the scriptures to see if it was so. And the apostles were like, good job. That's what you should be doing know the word of god check the work of god the word of god stay near the word of god number 2 know god's character through jesus know him intimately so you can discern what he desires because if you know someone like i know my wife and someone tries to convince me that Janine likes something i know she doesn't like i'll know better right and if you know the character of jesus christ you'll know when something comes into you into your mind to say hey that's wrong jesus christ doesn't desire that Jesus Christ isn't about that. Number three, ask yourself if it helps you love the Lord and love your neighbor because that's the whole point. If a dress code helps you love your neighbor as yourself, then maybe it is right. But that's a good litmus test. Does it help you love the Lord and does it help you love your neighbor as yourself? Number four, know the difference between God's eternal moral law that we call the commandments that are eternal and the temporal ceremonial law of Moses that was only a shadow for a time. you got to know the difference. One more illustration. Let's say we got really ambitious here, okay, and I decided to take all of you on a safari. How cool would that be? Better than billiards. We go on a safari together, okay? In the English language, there are words that mean a couple things, okay? Humor me here. The law we see in Scripture is sometimes good and sometimes not good to hold to. Okay, You see that in Scripture, it seems kind of confusing. So if I took you on the safari and we went to see all the animals and stuff like that and we went to where the elephants were, Okay, and as your safari leader, as your pastor as well, I want to capture the images of some of these things so we can, you know, chronicle them and put them in a notebook and put them in a Facebook group and put them um, on this big album we have. And I want to get pictures of the elephants. But I forgot I didn't bring my camera with me, it was still in my bag. And so I ask one of you, hey, do you mind going to get my camera out of the trunk? And you went to the elephant and tried to grab it out of the trunk of the elephant? How stupid and dangerous would that be? That's the idea with the law. You have to know what the law is. Because in the New Testament, you see some law and you see another law. And you have to understand and discern what law is he talking about? The law of Moses or the eternal law of God? So know the difference between the two. Lastly, stay near the feet of Jesus. The best way to know what is right is to stay near the feet of Jesus. They say that people who work with money, the best ones who can tell a forgery are the ones who work at a mint. You know why? Because they always deal with the authentic money. And as soon as a forgery comes in, they spot it as clear as day. So the way to spot legalism and false man-made religion is stay near Jesus. I have a couple applications on your sheet. You guys can read those on your own. I'm just going to ask you one question. Are you living for and treasuring only Jesus? It has to be only. He is the treasure hidden in a field. He is the pearl of great value. And there is no other. There's no rival. There's no add-on. There's no substitute. It's Christ alone or nothing at all. Are you holding fast to the head today? Know him, stay near him, learn about him, obey him, proclaim him to others. Let's think about this today, okay? Think about how we can more treasure Christ and combat the spiritual treasure-stealing pirates. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you that is it a double-edged sword and that it always pierces where we need to know and learn about you, thank you for Christ. Thank you that he is the one who has taught us. He's the one we need to stay clear and stay near, excuse me. And I pray that we would all understand how important and beautiful and worthwhile Christ is so we don't go anywhere else. We don't look to the right or to the left. We stay near Jesus. We obey his commands. We tell others about him alone so that we can grow with a growth that is from God and be connected to the spiritual head. We thank you and we praise you, it's in Jesus' name. Amen.